Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Dr. Johnston. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, well, since you guys are Christian thinkers. Sorry, I just want to leave that question. I wanted to get your input on that. Sure, appreciate it. Thank you. God bless that's my question. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show, combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Hey everybody, welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. It's delightful to have you joining us across Faith Radio Network today. And I'm just excited about the conversation because it's that time of year where people are more open to the Christian faith. People are more open to listening. And of course, it's Christmas season if you're listening to us live right now on the network. And if you're not, God bless you. Um, we're just excited about this time of year. And what, why I'm delighted to have you joining us today is not only are you going to be equipped in this broadcast right now with key information that is relevant to your Christian life and relevant to your journey today, what I'm really praying more so is that you will take this information and begin having conversations that are full of great content and compassion to go for conversion of all those around you. Of course, during the holidays, I think it's a time that people are just more open to the gospel. They're more open uh, to the things of faith. Perhaps their hearts are more sensitive. I've certainly noticed that on my street. I mean, it's a time we see Christmas lights <laughs> out, great Christmas decorations, music about Jesus is playing where we don't normally hear music about Jesus playing in the stores. Um, it kind of sneaks up on people a little bit. And so I want you to be fully equipped as a conversant follower of Jesus to have great conversations about the difference that the Christian faith and the Christian movement is making in today's day and age. And so if you know me at all, you know from um, my heart, my passion, this is the most important evidence for the Christian faith, the difference that the Jesus movement makes. I call it the Jesus factor in the world. Um, and so today I've actually asked a friend, a new friend of mine by the name of John Dickerson, who's an award-winning journalist. He's a millennial. He's a best-selling author. His writings have appeared in the New York Times, USA Today. He's been interviewed on all the major networks. Uh, but he's just come back to faith in Christ, and he's now a pastor in Indianapolis. But as an award-winning author, He's marshaled the gifts that God has given him to put out a brand new book called Jesus Skeptic. And so we're going to dive into that conversation. Um, I feel well equipped to, to, to discuss it with him because I've put so much of my own research into this whole question of what difference really does the Christian movement actually make in the world? And, and friends, we make a huge difference in the world, as you know. It's a delightful difference. It's a difference that has very real-world consequences for you and your neighbors today. Uh, very unfortunately, though, so many Christians are just simply unaware. They're not, they don't feel equipped. They don't feel resourced 
to share what difference Christianity is making in their own lives. Um, and so that's not going to be your excuse today, having gone through this program. I think it's really going to enrich your life. Our guest, John Dickerson, is extremely articulate. He's a great model of what a Christian thinker should aspire to be. And again, our ministry is Christian Thinker Society. We believe all of us have been called to love God with our heart, soul, and mind. So if you can, grab something to write with. Listen to this broadcast a second time. He's coming with tons of wisdom to drop on us today. And I've got some hard questions for him. I look forward to his answers. He, I know he's well-equipped and well-positioned to answer those. So welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. It's great to have you aboard. Stay with us. We're going to go to our first break. And when we come back, we're going to be discussing Jesus Skeptic with our new friend, John Dickerson. Stay with us. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm delighted to have you joining us across Faith Radio Network in the Central and Eastern Time Zone, as well as all of you uh, who connect with this broadcast on the app uh, digitally. It's so great. Wherever you're listening, wherever you're joining this conversation from, I'm just delighted to have you. This is the conversation that takes your questions very seriously. Uh, we don't believe that becoming a Christian means we need to check our brains at the door. It actually is this wonderful opportunity to love God with our heart, soul, and mind. And to that end, I have invited somebody that I have really come to appreciate this year just through his books. This is the first time we've spoken, uh, but I have joining us today John Dickerson, who's an award-winning journalist, a best-selling author. We're going to get into that. He's a pastor in Indianapolis at Connection Point Christian Church. John, I'm delighted to have you on the program today. Hey, thanks, Jeremiah. Glad to be with you. The book is Jesus Skeptic, um, and I want you, I want everybody to check this out. Um, we're going to have a great conversations today because I happen to believe that the greatest apologetic for the Christian life, the greatest apologetic, the greatest evidence for the Christian movement is that I believe the church is the greatest force for good on earth. And John, I want to ask you right at the outset about your book, Jesus Skeptic, um, because I, I think it ties in beautifully with your testimony. But what do you think about the fact that the greatest evidence for the faith is the difference it makes in the world right now? Well, I, I would have disagreed with you at one point in my life, but I'm in, a, in agreement now. And in fact, from looking at the primary evidence, I looked at the people who ended slavery, which had been a global norm, the people who uh, created the university, who created modern medicine, and time and again, it was followers of Jesus according to their own writings. And that's What's unique about this Jesus Skeptic book is it shows those writings. And so, yeah, now uh, as a believer, I would call this book Jesus Skeptic actually a social justice apologetic. It actually argues that if you want to make the world a better place and care about social justice, Christianity is worthy of consideration based on just the record of people like Martin Luther King Jr. all the way back uh, who have done that. And, I, and it's so compelling today, and yet it's something that often many Christians are unaware of, aren't they? The great legacy of our faith in this space. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, as I've grown in my Christian faith um, from skeptic to then believer to then seminary student and pastor, some of the primary evidence, just the overwhelming number of records I found, uh, I had no idea. I mean, I, I had heard that Princeton or Yale or Harvard, one of them was started by Christians, but I had no idea all of them were started by pastors and that their yep. founding documents overtly state these things. It was just overwhelming. 
So give us some of your background. Um, I happen to love the show Guy Ra- by Guy Raz on NPR, how I built this. And what I love is so many of our, we have so many new believers who are listening to you right now, both across Faith Radio Network and On Demand. And man, they hear guys like you and they aspire to do what you're doing, John. And it, it really encourages them to hear about your own personal journey. You've won national journalistic awards from people like Tom Brokaw, Christiana Amanpour of CNN, um, you're a heavyweight writer and thinker, but tell us about your journey in journalism and then investigating Jesus, because I think it'll encourage people who are listening right now. Yes. Well, one of the encouragements would be for those who uh, have a loved one who's wandered away. That was me. I was raised in a Christian home, and for a while was that statistic of people who've turned away, and, and for a while thought maybe this was all made up, maybe Jesus didn't even live. Um, and it was actually uh, good, well-written books that helped me see mm. that he did live. And then uh, that led me to start really considering what he said. Um, and as I considered that, it started to uh, change me and open my heart. And then as I really started to look at the evidence of the movement, uh, and simultaneously as a reporter was doing stories Uh, everything from NBA team owners to heroin addicts and really seeing the full spectrum of humanity. Meanwhile, I started getting involved in a a church and seeing Jesus transform people from the inside out. And God just kind of weaved all that together uh, to bring me to the conclusion um, that Jesus has launched the greatest movement for social good in human history. And so it was seeing that evidence and the difference of it in the world that drew you essentially back to faith. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. I mean, I believe now uh, that it was the prayers of my parents in the spiritual realm, in the intellectual realm. Uh, It was actually kind of a classic apologetic work by a guy named Josh McDowell has a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And intellectually, that book... Um, was a turning point for me of just realizing, well, there's credibility to this. This guy did live. These biblical manuscripts are reliable. Uh, And really, that's a big part of my desire with this Jesus Skeptic book is my prayer is that many young people, college students, uh, people of all ages, will have a moment with this Jesus Skeptic book like I did with evidence that demands a verdict. And since we're in such a visual generation, I've gone out of the way to put dozens and dozens of images. So, for example, when we talk about ancient writers who wrote about Jesus who were not Christians, like Josephus and Tacitus, I actually show some of the images, whether it's of old manuscripts, ancient manuscripts from them, or even in the case of Roman emperors like uh, Tacitus and Suetonius, when they corresponded about Jesus, actually show, you know, here's the coin that has one of their profiles on it. And uh, it, it helps a visual generation see, okay, there's visual archaeological evidence and artifacts that relate to this person, Jesus. And actually, as an honest investigator, it doesn't take faith to believe he existed. Uh, Now, it does take faith to believe his words are true. Mm, mm, So good. Friends, if you're just joining us, our guest today is John Dickerson. His book is Jesus Skeptic, a journalist explores the credibility and impact of Christianity. I highly recommend this book, and I just, I love the spirit behind it. Um, And friends, I can say this as a historical Jesus scholar. Uh, This is heavyweight thinking. It's heavyweight scholarship, but he's presented it. He's cast his book in a way that you can do in a Bible study. Um, He's not, he is not at all 
Um, he's taken the gloves off. He's not pulled. It's just amazing um, the work that he's done in Jesus Skeptic. We need more books like this, John. Um, in fact, when I was writing my book, Unimaginable, What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity, um, I was surprised there, there's really not more. There hasn't been more of an effort to promote um, in, uh, promote just the great that our faith is doing. Um, and I really feel like that, that Judges 2.10, a generation rose after them that did not know the Lord or the works which he had done for Israel really is a descriptor of our generation in many ways as Christians. Um, when a skeptic comes along and says, you know, the world would be a lot better without religion in general, but Christianity in specific, a lot of Christians get nervous and they don't even know how to answer that, do they, John? They don't know how to really answer the difference that our faith is making in the world. They don't. And that's why I think your book, Unimaginable, is so important. Uh, and that's my prayer that this book, Jesus Skeptic, would almost be a companion to that. Absolutely. Of equipping, equipping believers to know, you know, um, it's, not, it's not condescending to politely say to a person who's writing against Jesus, did you know that the fact that you know how to write literacy is because of Christians and, and present the evidence. It's followers yeah. of Jesus who created social literacy in the United States and Western Europe, and then the rest of the world followed. And it's almost a story that's so big, that's how people miss it. I, I, this is just my opinion rather than research, but it seems like Christianity was so, so much a given in Western culture um, that uh, the sort yes, of hinge generations – in the last couple of years, they kind of they assumed everyone knew these things about Christ, about Christianity in our history, and and now a new generation comes in and, and doesn't know them. And uh, I remember at one point looking at the mountain of evidence that universities, hospitals, etc. If you removed Christians, we'd lose all this, including the scientific revolution, and just realizing this is the biggest story of my journalism career by far. Wow. And that means a lot coming from you. Talk for a moment about your journalistic awards that you've won, because that's an you're, you have an informed opinion, and I want our audience, our wide audience, to appreciate that. Sure. So when I started my career as a journalist, I was in Arizona, won a number of state awards there, Journalist of the Year. I think I was 24 um, wow. uh, when I received that. And then uh, some of my reporting started to earn national awards. And uh, probably the most well-known is one called the Livingston Award yes. for Young Journalists. And, um, and yeah, that's where Charles Gibson of ABC News and Ken Aulet of The New Yorker, Christiane Amanpour of CNN were the judges for that. And they only give out three of those a year, you know, for all the journalists under 35 in the United States. And, uh, you know, what was common, the common thread in my investigative reporting was complex issues where you had to get down to the truth, essentially through what I call primary evidence, uh, where you have experts on each side disagreeing. So I did a big investigation into a large jail system in Arizona where a number of immigrants from Mexico had, had died. And there was this guy, Juan Farias, who tragically was beaten to death. And I had evidence showing that it was jail guards who had beaten him to death. But of course, the sheriff was saying that wasn't the case and had a lot of attorneys saying it wasn't the case. And the way I was able to really build the story that Juan Farias was killed by these guards in the jail 
was through primary evidence, and that included wow. uh, his autopsy, video footage from inside the jail, uh, hundreds of pages of documents. And really, it's that same journalistic technique that I then applied to say, okay, if we just measure Jesus by the exact same measure as we measure Mohammed and Alexander yes. the Great and Socrates, what is his impact on humanity? Uh, and the findings, you know, I mean, they're just so big that we could almost miss them. This is so good, and this is why I appreciate your work so much. You have control of the primary literature, and then your book shows total control of the secondary literature. We only have about a minute and a half until our first break. It's already going by way too fast. But what do you think about the fact that the church unified and mobilizes the greatest force for good on earth, John, based on your research? Yeah, it, it uh is astounding. And, you know, I think one of the things we face for our generation, I'm technically a millennial, I'm an older millennial, uh, is this Christianity is so stereotyped with being against progress. And I think we do have to acknowledge yes. there have been people throughout Christian history uh, who named the name of Christian who were bigoted or backwards or prejudiced. I think we have to own that fact. But then where I try to, you know, I, I encourage my friends, be a genuine skeptic. If we look at the words of Jesus, were those people actually following him? Or if we look at the people who risked their lives to end slavery, like Elijah Lovejoy and Frederick Douglass, who were followers of Jesus, which ones were actually sincerely saying, I will follow Jesus no matter the cost, rather than I will use the Christian label to justify my bigotry. Uh, and that's where I think it becomes clear. Those people who genuinely follow Jesus, not a certain denomination, not a certain brand, but those people who genuinely say, I will follow Jesus no matter the cost, are at the leading edges of ending slavery, uh, creating modern medicine, launching the scientific revolution, all sorts of things that can be historically validated through the manuscripts that I show in Jesus Skeptic. Friends, aren't you enjoying this conversation? This is the kind of information you need right now to have an effective conversation to go from content to conversation to conversion. He's John Dickerson. He's joining us for the entire hour. Write down his website right now. In fact, go ahead and just pull it up if you're not driving. Go to johnsdickerson.com. As I mentioned, he's an award-winning journalist. And by, wouldn't you love to go to his church? Um, he pastors right there in Indianapolis at Connection Point Christian Church. If you're in the area, definitely go visit this Sunday. Check it out. Check out his ministry. Um, when we come back, I want to I press into this theme even more. The book is brand new. It's called Jesus Skeptic. It's put out by our good friends at Baker Publishing. A journalist explores the credibility of the impact and impact of Christianity. You're listening to Faith Radio Network. This is Jeremiah Johnston. We'll be back with John Dickerson. More of your questions and mine uh, after this break. Stay with us. know how to answer the skeptic who says, you know, Christianity is irrelevant to my life. What does the Bible, what does the Jesus movement really do to make a difference in my life or the community? Well, that's the conversation. The answer to that, those questions and more are what this conversation today is all about. My, my new friend, uh, John Dickerson, is joining us today for the entire hour. If you're just joining us on Faith Radio Network, you're going to want to go back to the podcast and check out the entire conversation. It's going by way too fast. Uh, but John Dickerson has a brand new book called Jesus Skeptic. 
Uh, he's an excellent writer, friends, a great Christian thinker. Uh, and we're discussing the difference, the impact that Christianity has made in the world, the difference not only of Jesus but of his followers, and why that is such an important evidential apologetic for you as believers today. As you know, there are many people who believe that Christianity is impeding progress, that the Bible's irrelevant, that Jesus' movement answers the questions of yesterday, not today. But John shows in his book why that's not the case, why Christianity is <laughs> literally relevant to your life in every way. And it's so relevant, I think he's made a vital point in our first segment. And again, if you've missed it, you're going to want to listen to it again. Christianity is so part of the fabric of Western civilization. There's so much progress. Uh, we don't even realize it, and therefore we don't appreciate it. Can you just expound on that a little bit more, John, for our audience? Absolutely. You know, one of the things statistically that surprised me in my research, if, if you were to ask an average American, uh, is Christianity good or bad for women's rights? You know, this is just me anecdotally. In my experience, most younger and educated Americans would say Christianity is not good for women's rights. Uh, in the book, as I looked through actual World Health Organization statistics of what are the best nations in the world for women's rights, they have a ranking of over 200 nations. There are the 10 best nations in the world, and then the 10 worst nations in the world. And this is not according to any Christian group. It's the World Health Organization. And then what I did is I correlated those numbers to Pew Research Center findings. Again, Pew is not a Christian or sectarian institution, but is very highly regarded in their sociology research. And Pew shows the percentage of populations that identify as Christian, Muslim, etc., all across the world. And what I did was I correlated and compared. And what I found was that the 10 best nations in the world for women women's rights are all nations that have on average 75% of the population claiming to be Christian. So mm. three out of four people in the best nations for women's rights um, claim to be Christians. And then I looked at the 10 worst nations. It's less than 10%. And here's the reality. This matters today. There are women in the world today who aren't allowed to show their face, aren't allowed yep. to drive a car, aren't allowed to vote, aren't allowed to go to a university, and every one of those are a nation that does not have more than 10% of Christians and that historically has banned Christianity, whereas every one of the 10 best nations has a 75% self-identifying as Christians in their population. And then on top of that, they're all nations that if you go back four or 500 years, they've had Christian influence in their constitution. And so I, here's the thing that I realize, and I, I write about this in the book, you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to be religious. You can be a complete agnostic, even an overt atheist. If you love the women in your life, you want them to wake up in a city that has a big Christian cathedral in the middle because statistically, not as a matter of opinion and not a religious statement, they will have more equal pay. They will have the ability to vote and get an education. Has any society arrived? Not at all. I'm not saying we're there, but I'm saying if we want to keep getting there, let's look at what are the factors in the societies that are leading the way, and it's that they're historically Christian. Yes, 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 yes. Slam dunk. Amen. That's all I can say to this comment, these comments, friends. Don't you love this? Um, I want you to get this book on yourself. It's Jesus Skeptic. This is the kind of information that we need. And But John has marshaled it. John Dickerson, the author and our guest today on the show, he's, he's deploying the information in a way where you can read it. You're going to be so encouraged. This is as much a book to be studied as it is to be read. But I want you to take this information out into your community. I want you to be bold about it. I mean, when you think that the most dangerous country in the world right now to be born if you're a woman is the country of India, you'll see immediately that Christianity is not the dominant belief system in India. Friends, my friend Misty McCall, who lived in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, 
And I share this story in city after city in my speaking, John. Um, she went to a Dunkin' Donuts in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And, you know, pray, by the way, praise God, there's Dunkin' Donuts in Saudi Arabia. I just thought that was cool just to know anyways. Uh, but she was ordered to eat outside. As a female, she was not even able to eat inside the Dunkin' Donuts in Riyadh. She goes outside. It's 150 degrees outside, and her powdered sugar donut literally evaporates and melts all over her abaya. What are the differences with these countries, friends? It's the point that John has just made. Christianity is not the dominant belief system. It is not in that 75% category. And so even if you weren't a Christian at all, gosh, don't you thank God for Christianity? John, I want to ask you to react to another point um, that I've been thinking about a lot, and I really appreciate that you're a deep thinker. So Christianity makes a difference in society, and I want you to speak about this as a journalist, as an intellectual, as a pastor, but I've noticed that the gospel of Jesus Christ, when followed, usually will bring me into conflict with society, culture, and contemporaries. There's a difference-making factor about it. What do you think about that? Well, it's true. And I, you know, Elijah Lovejoy comes to my mind. Elijah Lovejoy was a journalist, and he was also a pastor, and he lived in the St. Louis area. So in 1837, this is a full 30 years before the Civil War, that Elijah Lovejoy was part of the American Anti-Slavery Society. And I actually show in this Jesus Skeptic book the American Anti-Slavery Society, their founding document. And I identify in there where there's no less than six scripture references. Uh, And the same is true for, oh my goodness, the abolition movement to end slavery uh, just has scripture, scripture, scripture. But Elijah Lovejoy is one of those where as he used his newspaper presses as well as his pulpit to decry the evils of slavery, there were pro-slavery activists from the South, Southerners, who would uh, cross the river and they would burn down his newspaper printing press. They did this two or three times. On the fourth time, they brought a shotgun with him, with them. And Elijah Lovejoy knew all along that he was probably going to die for following Jesus. Um, and here's I, I draw this correlation in the book. Jesus skeptic. When you read Elijah Lovejoy's writings, and it's the same with Martin Luther King Jr., who gave his life to help set captives free and to further God's definition of justice, these great champions of social justice, and I'd throw Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman into the same category, what made them so fearless in the face of even violent opposition? And it was this they knew that the cause they were fighting for wasn't simply human rights. It was divine. It was a divine cause. And uh, the beauty of following Jesus, there will always be some conflict because Scripture says that we're in a fallen world and there's people around us who don't want God's progress. Um, but, But we will... We'll always know what the truth is if we stay true to the Word of God, and he'll give us an empowering. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to be in violent conflict, and Martin Luther King Jr. is a great example of that with being nonviolent, uh, even in response to violent adversaries. Um, but the point is this. as if, if we stay true to the teachings of Jesus, we'll be willing, no matter the cost, to keep advancing his cause and keep advancing his purpose. I love it. What a great answer. Uh, friends, again, the book is Jesus Skeptic. I want you to get it. Um, and John, uh, what do you think is the most compelling evidence from your book? You've marshaled, I mean, quite a bit of data, but if you had to pick one part of the book that you know you want to share with a friend or you hope your readers do, is there is there a certain point, story, individual yeah. theme that sticks out to you that, hey, that's the place I'd go? 
Yeah, so so here's the theme that to me is the most overwhelming, and it's a little bit more logical than emotional, so bear with me, um, but there is emotion to it, and it's this. If you were to remove the university system from the last 1,000 years, and, and by the way, the, uh, the Western university or college, we sometimes call it, is a unique learning system. It did not exist for all of history. It's very unique. It developed in the last 1,000 years. If you were to remove that from the last 1,000 years, then we would lose the scientific revolution, we'd lose Western democracy, we'd lose modern medicine, we'd lose the abolition of slavery, which was a global norm on every continent for thousands of years, long before Christianity even. And so the university, while that might not seem super exciting, is really the key ingredient of creating modern society. I mean, if we rewind even 300 years, average human life expectancy was 45 years. So we live twice as long as most people in history. Literacy, the ability to read, you go back just 300 years and it was less than 10% of the global population knew how to read. The fact that we know how to read, we live twice as long as normal people, all our modern conveniences, which came from the scientific revolution. And this fascinating thing that if you rewind, we can trace through history, we know exactly where the university came from. It came from these seed universities like Oxford, which all started from cathedral Christian schools uh, in Europe. And Oxford started around 1000 AD with a motto, the Lord is my light. That's a quote from the book of Psalms and three crowns on its crest for the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Oxford is one, and I show all this in the book, Jesus Skeptic, of about six seed universities. And every one of those seed universities um, produced Christian graduates who started then Cambridge. Cambridge's graduates started Harvard. The Reverend John Harvard was one of a group of pastors who all started it as a Bible seminary. The same is true of Princeton and of Yale. And if you remove these universities from the last thousand years, we'd be living back in the dark ages. And it's not like Christians started one or two of them. You look at the top 10 universities in the world, and every one of the seed universities, whether global seed universities like Oxford or U.S. seed universities like Harvard, Yale, it's not that some of them were started by Christians. Every single one of them was. It's just amazing to me. And so the landscape of education would be utterly different without this influence of the Jesus movement and Christianity. Um, we only have about two minutes left, but why did you, before our next break, by the way, that we've got John Dickerson with us through the entire hour here on Faith Radio Network. Um, I, I think it's interesting as you, as you presented the book, but why did you personally feel it was necessary to show that Jesus actually, actually existed as a historical individual? Oh, I, you know, I think it's so important because young Americans, we live in a hyper-visual society. You know, it, everything's either Instagram, Netflix, it's all visual. And so I'm meeting more and more young Americans who say, well, I've never seen Jesus. Maybe he was made up. And I, I remember thinking that myself. And so that to me is where I thought, I've got to show that Jesus actually lived. And then not only that, his impact and his influence, that one out of three people in the world today follow Jesus. I never knew that, but it's right out mm -hmm. there. Pew Research Center updates it every few years. One out of three people in the world. And so we get excited about a celebrity or an Instagram influencer who has 100 million followers. Well, Jesus has 20 times that. And by the way, he <laughs> lived 2,000 years ago. Who else from 2,000 years ago has even 100 million followers, let alone 2.4 billion? Um, so I'm nerding out, but I just – his impact, his influence is so big um, and yet, at so many leading edges of society today, his name is almost 
unallowed, you know, in mainstream yeah. media or at a leading university. Uh, and so I think it's so important to show the evidence so that our young people can go out into universities and out into the world knowing what I believe is historically valid. And when I meet someone who prejudges me, who misunderstands me, they might call me a bigot or close-minded or ignorant because of their stereotypes. I don't have to be hateful. I don't have to be defensive. I don't have to be insecure. I can know the facts. I can know my history. It's primary evidence, and I can respond to them lovingly and show them the truth. These are the kinds of questions uh, I love, and this is why this show exists. We're talking with John Dickerson. We're going to be back in 90 seconds. Stay with us. Hey, welcome back to Faith Radio Network. This is Jeremiah Johnston. I'm joined by John Dickerson. His excellent new book, Jesus Skeptic, A Journalist Explores the Credibility and Impact of Christianity, put out by Baker Books. We're having such a phenomenal discussion. I hope that you will connect with John Dickerson on Twitter. It's at John S. Dickerson. Same for Facebook and Instagram. He's one of those cool people that has decided to align all of his social media handles. Like, <laughs> makes things so much more helpful. So go ahead and connect with him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Again, that's John S. Dickerson. And as I mentioned, he's an award-winning journalist, a fabulous pastor in the Indianapolis area at Connection Point Christian Church in Indianapolis there. Um, John, let's keep this discussion going. I'm enjoying it so much. Um, how do you respond? And I'm sure you've gotten this a bunch with this book coming out, but I'm, I'm just fascinated to hear your perspective. Because um, this happened to me recently in Denver. How do you respond to the people that say, you know, so much hate has been done in the name of Christianity and religion, and, you know, they go to the usual suspects, usual places. Um, how have you responded to that? Yeah, it's such a great question. I think it's really important, one, that we don't be overly defensive to that question and yeah. acknowledge that it does exist. At the same time, I would encourage the people to dig deeper. For example, I, I recently heard on, a, I think it was Good Morning America, Whoopi Goldberg say, well, we all know Hitler was a Christian. Well, the reality <laughs> is Hitler wasn't a Christian. Exactly. Uh, he was a big fan of Frederick Nietzsche, who says God is dead. Uh, and the whole fact of what happened in Germany was that there was a, a societal turn away from Christianity, beginning at the universities, saying, hey, the Bible's myths, miracles didn't happen. Uh, and yes, there were still churches in Germany when World War II happened, but there weren't Bible-believing Christians as a large percentage of the culture. And so I, I like to encourage people to dig deeper. Uh, so same thing when people say, well, we all know Christians started slavery in the South. And I like to zoom them out and say, it is horrific that some slave owners claimed to be, follow to, to be Christians. But let's look, let's look at it in reality. First of all, one out of three people in the world today follows Jesus. Any movement that has one out of every three people in the world is going to have some weirdos and some crazy people in it. Yep, but right. secondly, secondly is this. Let's actually look at the facts. Let's look at the reality that slavery was a global norm on every continent. The Aztecs had slaves. Native North American Indians had slaves. Um, there's slavery in ancient Rome, in ancient Greece. Mm -hmm. Every major civilization in world history had slaves. So what's unique about the last 200 years 
isn't that slavery existed. Now, that doesn't demean it. Slavery is evil. It's horrific. It defies the very nature of God and the reality that every human being is made in the image of God regardless of their race or class. But what's unique isn't that there were some slave owners. There are Muslim slave owners, Hindu slave owners, communist slave owners. You cannot find an ideology anywhere in the world, including atheism, where people who hold that ideology have never owned slaves. If you're going to say, I will only believe something that anyone who believes it hasn't owned slaves, you can't believe anything. So everyone has owned slaves. Here's my question. Who are the people then who ended it? If slavery is such a vicious reproducing weed in the garden of human history, who are the people who didn't just pull up a few of the weeds, but who were able to completely eradicate it from a culture and then spread that around the globe? Let's look at those people. And if those people are all Muslims, then wow, Islam is notable. If those people are all communists, then wow, communism is notable. If those people are all Hindu, etc., let's look at the evidence. And then we look at it and we see, wow, It was the Catholic Church even before the United States and the New World existed, and then it was Quaker Christians going back to really our idea of human rights today. Even non-Christian historians say go back to this petition from the Quakers in the 1600s before the United States even existed as a country. And then Quaker writings and influence reaching that well-known British lawmaker William Wilberforce who then gave his life to say, hey, real Christianity, the name of his book – doesn't have room for slavery. We've got to overthrow slavery. And once he accomplished that for Britain, it spread to all the British colonies, which included India, which, by the way, India had as many as 19 million slaves um, in the 1800s, even after the Civil War. Um, And Britain spread that to the colonies. And then the U.S., as one of the colonies, followers of Christ here, reading the Bible, starting things like the American Anti-Slavery Society, saying, as followers of Jesus, we will give our lives to end slavery. And so if we actually look at the facts, we do acknowledge the reality. There were some evil people in in history. There are some evil people today who claim to be Mm -hmm. Christians. But what I've found is those people don't take the words of Jesus seriously. On the positive side, the people who did end slavery are well-documented in history, and they all talk about Jesus as their motivation and as even their um, power source. Everyone from Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, African-American anti-slavery activists, to the Reverend John Rankin, Underground Railroad directors, William Wilberforce, hundreds of pastors and other activists who gave their lives to end slavery and their own books. And I I show the books in Jesus Skeptic. I show the titles of the books, which are things like a condensed biblical anti-slavery argument. Um, And it's just scripture, scripture, scripture. The book does a great job, friends. Uh, It does your work for you as a reader. It's a great one-stop place to see, wow, um, it's a great launching point, uh, John's book, Jesus Skeptic, because you can read it and say, oh, I can go read these sources for myself. Again, I just commend you. Such an excellent work um, that you've put together for the church. Um, I want to ask you another question. Tell us about the place, um, and I know you discussed this in the book, but tell us now on the show, if you would, um, about the place where you least expected to find Jesus. Yeah, you know, uh, in the end of slavery and in women's rights and then in the scientific revolution. I mean, if you think of the stereotypes today of Christians, um, most young people think, well, I can either believe science or I can believe Christianity. Um, I was amazed to find in the writings of Isaac Newton over and over and over again 
him writing about Jesus um, to the extent that today we would call him a fanatic. Uh, and he would write things like, <laughs> this is life eternal, that they might know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And it wasn't just Isaac Newton. Blaise Pascal wrote about Jesus that way. Johannes Kepler wrote about Jesus that way. Robert Boyle, from whom we get Boyle's Law in Modern Chemistry, wrote that way. Uh, and it just over. Overwhelming. And when you zoom out and think, I mean, is Albert Einstein who said, God gave us Newton's laws of motion. And then he says, more or less, all the science from Newton until now follows from that. It was almost like this cabinet of scientific understanding was locked. And for thousands of years, lots of people rubbed sticks together and experimented with gunpowder and did little things. But all of a sudden, there was this well-documented breakthrough, the scientific revolution, the cabinet doors were thrown wide open. And if we look at the people who did that, they were followers of Jesus. We still have their journals today. So it's not a matter of opinion. And to me, again, that's what's special about this Jesus Skeptic book is I show you uh, Isaac Newton's journal writings and Blaise Pascal's poem that he wrote about how much he loves Jesus that he carried around in his pocket. Mm -hmm. You can read it for yourself. It's really fabulous. Tell us about JesusSkeptic.com because um, I've been perusing this site, and I think it's a great resource for believers. Yes, so JesusSkeptic.com, I would encourage you, go there, especially sign up for the email on there because it's just getting started. What JesusSkeptic.com aims to be is an online catalog of this primary evidence and the real hope is this, that middle school and high school young Christians will hear about Jesus skeptic and that they'll sign up once a week. They can get a piece of primary evidence emailed to them. And the hope for this is that it builds their identity so that if they end up at a state university and they encounter a professor who says, you know, some ignorant stereotype of Christians, they're able right away to think, wait a minute, Jesus skeptic. And if they go to JesusSkeptic.com, they can click on Ending Slavery, Creating Modern Medicine, which we've hardly even touched today, but that's a fascinating one. Um, women's Rights, Ending Slavery, et cetera, et cetera, Launching the University. They can click on that and then see primary evidence and followers of Jesus so that they know when they get challenged or when they get stereotyped or even when they get made fun of for being a Christian, they can go back there. And here's my message to any believer who's listening. We will be misunderstood. But here's the thing. Intellectually, you stand shoulder to shoulder with Isaac Newton, with Blaise Pascal, with Johannes Kepler, the brightest minds of all time, and in our time with people like Dr. Francis Collins at the National Institute yeah. of Health. Not only that, morally, socially, you stand shoulder to shoulder with Martin Luther King Jr., with Harriet Tubman. So don't be ashamed of being a Christian. Absolutely, and we do need to have courage. We have this great legacy of courage. I, I think often one of the terrible things we lost in the Reformation, and I'm a huge, so I don't freak anyone out. I, I love the Reformation. I've been there. I've studied it. Um, but one of the things we've lost is a real awareness of our of our great Christian heroes who have gone before us. I get that Martin Luther didn't think, and I agree, biblically we should pray to saints, what have you. But in that, we really lost an awareness of these heroes of the faith who have been men and women of great courage, and their faith caused them to go into action and say, evil, it's not going to happen today, not on my watch. And there's this great legacy, isn't there, for believers. And so what do you think the, what do you want the outcome to be from your book, John? I mean, for Christians who are getting this information today, they're going to buy your book, they're going to read it, they're going to study it, but shouldn't there be a real clarion call? And I want you to share it for our audience to actually go be a difference in someone's life today in the name of Jesus. 
Absolutely. And uh, you know, first difference, I'd encourage anyone listening, if you have kids, grandkids, nephews, nieces, siblings, uh, anyone who's a uh, young Christian or is thinking about their faith, get them this Jesus Skeptic book, even as a stocking stuffer. It was a book yes. like this that changed my life. And that's my prayer is that God will use this book for many young people who are uh, deciding for themselves, do I actually believe this, that they will see the evidence for themselves and believe. And then for those of us who are believers, that we will read it and we will say, you know what, Martin Luther King Jr., Elijah Lovejoy, these great heroes, they didn't change the world sitting on a couch. And um, yes, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, but we are here in this world on a mission. And we are here, you know, God has given us twice as many years as most Christians in history. He's given us 7,000 times as much wealth as an average Christian in history. He's given us global communication tools that didn't exist even 30 years ago. We live in a window of world peace. At some point, we're going to give account to him for our lives, and he taught to whom much is given, much is required. We've been given these immense, immense opportunities, and um, I think the clarion call is let's pick up where Martin Luther King Jr., where Harriet Tubman, where Isaac Newton, these people who stand shoulder to shoulder with us intellectually and as social justice champions for the kingdom of God, let's keep up and let's pick up that mantle and keep the work going. I love it. Friends, get the book. It's Jesus Skeptic. Um, We've only got about 90 seconds left, John. Tell me, what is your unanswered question for God? I asked all all my guests, you know, if you could ask Jesus anything today, what would it be? I'd be fascinated to know what your question is. And I'm not a PS guy, so don't try to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think one of my questions would be, because my daughter asks me all the time, is is our dog going to be in heaven? Because we have this mm. amazing dog, and I hope <laughs> I'm right in telling my daughter, you know, in heaven there's no evil, everything is perfect, Um, I would guess God can give you whatever you want, and I know he can, and so I think our dog will be there, but I really don't know for sure, so I'm excited to find that out. Listen, great question. A lot. We need to figure this out. We need to do a show on this because I get so many questions about animals and dogs in heaven. I love this. But friends, today we've had such a great conversation about the difference um, maker that Jesus is and his movement. So this book is Jesus Skeptic. It's by John Dickerson. Please connect with him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check out his church um, in Indianapolis if you're close by. Uh, I have loved this conversation, John, and I would love to have you on again in the future. So thanks for stopping by and spending time with us today. Thank you, Jeremiah. I'd love to be back. All right, friends. I'll be back with final thoughts after this break. Stay with us. This is The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. What a fantastic conversation for all of us to enjoy today, talking about the great evidence for our faith, the great legacy that the difference Christianity makes in the world continues right now. And as I said in the, out, in the, in the intro, people are more open to hear the gospel today. People are more open during this time of year. They're more sensitive to things of the faith. And so I want to re- reflect with you just for our final, our final segment on what we just discussed. I mean, do you realize that other faith systems, other religious beliefs cannot claim to be the friend of archaeology in the way the Christian movement can? There are over 300 archaeological digs that happen annually in the land of Israel. Just let that sink in. 
if Christianity didn't exist, if Judaism was just a, fa- a farce, if the Judeo-Christian movement was just something that, you know, was myth, fairy tale, or legend, why are there 300 archaeological digs happening twice a year in the land of Israel? I mean, let that sink in. There's really not a lot of archaeology happening in other religious systems. You need to know that. I'm not saying there's none. I'm just saying that um, <laughs> in the majority uh, Christianity um, outpaces any other belief system because guess what? There is there is fallout in the material world all over the Mediterranean as it relates to Christianity. Friends, we just can't argue with that. Um, that it's just fabulous. It's great. It's great to know that archaeology is the friend of our faith. Another thing that's I think great that John pointed out when he when he really drew out in his section of the book Jesus Skeptic how we need to again establish that Jesus of Nazareth really existed. I mean. Do you realize, friends, that I have to appeal to Roman emperors for the same attestation, evidentially, that we have for Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, just let that sink in. And again, that just isn't the case for other religious movement founders. I mean, the evidence that we have for Jesus, are you kidding me? It's off the charts. Um, And so I do want to just remind you that there's no serious Bible scholar, at least there's none that are taken seriously, um, that would agree that, you know, we can't trust that Jesus existed. And yet so many scholars say this. Um, and it's popular on Internet memes. It's popular on in social media circles to say, oh, Jesus, if he even existed. Um, and friends, that is just flies in the facts of history. It flies in the face of the evidence. So, again, archaeology is the friend of Christianity. We live in a we we have, we live and breathe a faith that's based in evidence. We can actually go check out the sources, and so do yourself a favor as a follower of Jesus. Be conversant in these issues. Be informed in your faith. Check out my book, Unimaginable: What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity, where I show what the world was like before Christianity, what it was like in the last seventy years when more than one half of the world turned its back on God, and then in part three, the world with Christianity. And it's a tour de force that you I show twelve ways the world world would be radically different tomorrow if all of us Christians, if we just disappeared, if we didn't exist anymore. Um, And these are things that I think, why do I want you to know this? So you can be the smartest person in the room? No. I think it's the most compelling evidence for our faith to walk up to a skeptic or a friend who's just questioning and say, hey, guess what? Christianity is relevant to your life. Here's how your life would be utterly different if the Christian movement didn't exist and didn't have the influence that it has today. And that's why I've so enjoyed this conversation with John Dickerson. Pick up his book from Jesus Skeptic. It's fabulous. Friends, download our podcast, subscribe to us anywhere podcasts are found, and stay with us, stay connected with us at christianthinkers.com where you can have links to our social media. Go ahead and sign up for our email list. I love connecting with you on all these different formats, informing you and encouraging in your faith. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Faith Radio Network. This is Jeremiah Johnston, and I will see you next time. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. 
And to avoid missing future editions of the Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.